morning, Hoffmantown Church, as well as guests and Hoffmantown online viewers. We're glad to have you all joining us for corporate worship today here at church. The Bible says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God for the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, let's all stand together. Put some hands together as we sing about the victory we have in Jesus. Here we go. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning, of His precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Sing it out. Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Yeah, that's good singing. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory and Jesus. My Savior forever, He sought me and bought me with His redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is to Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Put those hands together. Yeah, we got the victory this morning. Thank you, Jesus. All right, church. Let's sing about that mansion that's waiting for us. Here we go. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing the old redemption story and some sweet day i'll sing up there the song of victory oh victory that's it my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming love, he loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. catch my breath here for a second. <laughs> you know, there's a saying that says, the grave is a problem and so is sin. But aren't you grateful that Jesus came in the flesh and conquered both of them? Isn't that a good word? Aren't you grateful for the victory we have in Jesus this morning? Hallelujah. I'm especially grateful for, this mor for that this morning, and let me tell you why. Last night, after our little family prayer time, our son Daniel, who's six and a half years old, 
he came to me uh, over on the side a little bit, and he said, and he said in his little man voice, he said, Dad, I need to tell you something in private. I said, okay, son. So we put the other kids to bed, and he climbed up on Mommy and Daddy's bed, and he proceeded to share with us. He said, Dad, the night before last, <laughs> he said, um, I, prayed to the, I prayed to God, and I asked him to forgive me for all the bad things I've done. And I, I asked God to come into my heart and to save me. These were his words, his words. Of course, he got emotional, and then I got emotional, and we hugged each other. And this is something we've been praying for, for Daniel for, for quite a long time now. And we haven't forced it on him. We talk about the gospel all the time, but we don't ever force it on our children. But it was so encouraging to see the Lord, the Holy Spirit, draw my son to himself and save him. I didn't even have to really do anything. I did walk through the Roman road with him, of course, to make sure he understood the gospel fully. And we prayed together. So uh, I am, I'm just delighted to share with my church family this morning that we have a new little brother in Christ, my son Daniel. And I share that for two reasons. One, to give God glory, to give him praise. But two, to also bear witness that Jesus Christ is still alive and well today, and he is still working to draw people to himself for salvation. And that is something worth giving him praise and adoration for this morning. So can we just continue doing that as we worship him and continue to bear witness? This is our testimony too. Sing it with us. I was buried beneath my shame who could carry that kind of weight it was my tomb till I met you thank you Jesus I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. Yeah. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Hallelujah. Out of the darkness into Sing it to the Lord. Now your mercy. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Hallelujah. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you, oh, what a day. You called my name. I needed rescue, my sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your Lord. That's right, they do. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen. That's good news, church. When I was broken, you were my healing, now your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a few. 
Church family, if you need to be seated at any time, please feel free to do so. But let's just continue in a spirit of worship to our Savior and Lord. Sing this with us. Come thou fount of every blessing, turn my heart to sing thy grace. Dreams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it Mount of thy redeeming love was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me i was bound by all my sin when your love came and rescued me thank you lord now my soul can sing a new song now my heart has found a your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Say, come now, found, come now, found, come now, King, come now, precious Prince of Peace. Hear your cry to you. goodness like a feather find my wandering heart to thee prone to wander Lord I fear prone to leave the God I love here's my heart Lord take and seal it seal it for thy courts above lost in utter darkness till you came and 
and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Hallelujah. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Amen, amen. Please be seated and listen to the praise that we just sang. I was bound with sin you came and set me free father we are so thank you thankful for your grace lord so thank you thankful that you came to set us free please remember the time that jesus came to you for the first time and you experienced grace take yourself to that moment and in worship and praise him. Praise him for when he set you free from all sin and death. Take that moment just to praise him within your heart, within your mind, deep within your soul. And thank him for his grace. Father, we're grateful, Lord, with the testimony that we heard, the, the words within these songs, Lord, and we praise you, Father. There's no other way. There's no other name for us to be saved but by your name, Father. Lord, we thank you that you loved us before the foundation of this world. You had a plan to rescue us, to save us, Father. And Lord, all victory, all praise, all blessing is in you, Father. Thank you that you desire to have a relationship with us, to fellowship with us for eternity, Lord. Thank you for sending your son, invading time, Lord, invading our hearts, Lord, so that we may experience pure joy, pure peace, pure love, Lord. And it's all because of your grace, Lord. Lord, I'm reminded in your scripture, no matter what circumstance that we're in, you said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. Lord, we're greedy, we're needy, we're needy people, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. In your heavenly name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fall in my wandering, but through it all, there's just one thing more precious than the air I breathe. Grace, amazing grace, unfailing that saves my soul grace unending grace unrelenting grace that won't let go Eternal crown, the endless song. 
Amazing grace. Can we just sing that hymn together, church? Acapella. I know you know it. Sing it with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. Come on, fill this room with those harmonies through many dangers, through many Amazing grace. Hey, you know, when in doubt, sing about that, right? What Jesus has done for us. That's kind of nice, David, hearing the folks sing this morning. Um, choir's going to start up again at some point, and uh, I'm going to get your name and turn you in. You might be a choir member after all. Good morning. We're continuing in Galatians. I'm excited to be here today. My heart is just so full of worship. Some of my absolute favorite, most resonating songs with me we did today. But I want to remind you, whenever I say that, it's not about preference, okay? It's not about my songs or your songs. It's about how we praise the Lord together. And come thou fount, come thou king. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Have you heard the term, have you ever heard the term, it's like a calf looking at a new gate. Now, I know there's theories on that, and then if you move a gate, I understand what that can do to a calf, but uh, there's various histories where that came from. But my friend Max shares uh, about when he, used to, when he grew up in the farm, up in the north country, those cold, long winters. Anybody ever from that part of the world or those kind of winters, you know what I'm talking about. 
And they had a number of calves, yearling calves, and they would have to put them in the barns all winter, a little different than here, and uh, keep them in pens. And so they'd be penned up in the barns all winter. And he stated that uh, we would open the gates to the outside world in the spring, the new gates, if you will, open that gate up for the first time. And he said it was hilarious to watch what the calves would do because they didn't know what to do with this newfound freedom. Max stated that they would buck and jump sometimes, and they'd run around inside, but they wouldn't go out. Not that gate, it's open now. They would get up the courage sometimes even to rush the gate and at the last second stop. And sometimes for some of them it would take hours and hours for them to get the nerve up finally to go out. They were terrified of their sudden freedom. They preferred safety to what they were used to than going out through that gate, that new gate, if you will. Isn't that an interesting story? I don't tell you that because it's an interesting story. I tell you that because Max went on to state this. He thought those calves staring at a new gate and that freedom were a lot like legalists. Wow. Well, think about that for a minute. They preferred the limitations and securities, the sets of do's and don'ts that they had faced their whole lifetime, and and they were scared of that freedom, that new world that was out there for them. And the legalist, of course, is scared to walk by faith. And the question today that I think Paul asks us, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, is this. He states to them, if you will, having been freed from the slavery of the law, after my first visit, when Paul first came, they're freed from the slavery of law. Having this happen, why in the world would you want to go back to the slavery of that, to the bondage of that. Why would you want to lose your new freedom in Christ and go back to that? And I think it's a good question for us to consider and think about today. Chapter 5 is interesting. It's a new break in the, uh, the, uh, the letter of Galatians. Sorry about that. And uh, we, we've had a couple chapters here and there. And now we're moving into what I call the concluding section, starting here, the more practical Section And I'm grateful for that. There's lots of application now that we're dealing with. So let's look at it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Christ has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note. I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. And, of course, we know we're talking not about circumcision so much as about what? adding something to salvation, to the free gospel. Verse 3, again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. In the Lord I have confidence in you that you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is who is troubling you, catch this, will pay the penalty. Yipes. Now, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also get themselves, and I apologize in my version, the word is castrated. Wow. What a note to end on, right? (laughs) Let's jump in and take a look at the scripture. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, for these words. They are your words. You inspired them to be put down and given to us, even in our language, as you see fit. And I'm so thankful that you reveal yourself to us through your words. God, I pray that it would not be my words, but it would be your words, and that we would be emboldened, that we would be encouraged to share our freedom in Christ with others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
So the first section here, we've got three today I want to look at, is, is simple. It's one verse, verse one. And if we could call it anything, we would call it this, stand firm. Now, verse one is interesting. This verse is a transition. It connects us back to chapter four. Do you remember where we stopped before? 431, look at it. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Do you remember that? All those contrasts from last week and the freedom that we have. And so this is a transition, 5-1, and it connects us forward. And what a stirring challenge that it is. It's a challenge to embrace freedom and not to embrace slavery. As I stated in the Galatians background, you may not remember that. Remember that sheet of paper front and back when we started? I said something about 5-1, that it's a very key verse to the book, and I think it is. I, I, how else could we state it besides Christ has liberated us into freedom? Wow. And so there's two imperative commands right here in verse 1. The first one, I think, is this. Be faithful. You could say stand firm. Okay? That's what I have in, in my scripture. Be faithful, though. It's the idea of faithfulness. Did you know it takes effort to stay in the place of liberty? It is easy to slide back into this or that or the old life or whatever. It takes effort to stay in liberty, in freedom. So, so I say be faithful. It's imperative here. What, what it is saying is this. Keep on standing firm. Keep on, keep on, keep on standing firm. I get so tired of those folks who say, if you'll just give your life to Jesus, everything will be. Have you heard them? Fill in the blank. No, it takes effort. Keep on, keep on. Anybody have a bad week ever? Anybody like me? You have a bad month sometimes? Whoa, we do. We do. I, I remind you again, don't come up to me after the service either, that Christians that say everything is perfect and you have it all together, you scare me. I don't want to hang out with you. Sorry. <laughs> Keep on standing firm. Don't add to salvation. Keep on with what I have taught you, with what the free gospel of grace is. Jesus has set you free. Amen. Are we good? But there's a second imperative. Not just be faithful, but be free. And how does he say it there? How, do you, how, how does that happen? Well, don't submit to this yoke of slavery. You see, the opposite of freedom is what? Being bound up, being tied up, a yoke of slavery. Now, the Greek word for freedom is interesting. It's a technical phrase. We've mentioned it one other time. It's a technical phrase from a legal document in Paul's days. It was this idea, the freeing of a slave. And so Paul now is continuing this illustration. It's an illustration of being purchased from the slave market and then being given complete freedom in this Roman society. They got it. We should get it. Picture that. Picture how that would be. In that Roman, you know, the Romans controlling everything. And no, you're, you're purchased away from that slave market. You're free. I mean, that's so much more powerful for me than just the idea of you're free. I mean, I live in 2021. Thank you, Lord. It's not 2020 anymore. 2021 in the United States of America, in Albuquerque, Nuevo Mexico. Think about it for a minute. I've often pondered, why in the world? God, thank you. Why did you allow me to be born and live where I am? instead of some persecuted nation or some far-off place that maybe has never even ever, do you know that? It's true. Still today, many, if not thousands of dialects still in our world today have never heard in their language the fact that Jesus saves. God, why, why me? How did, how did that happen? I'm grateful for that. And if we get this picture of freedom, I think it helps us Americans to see the, the idea of being taken and purchased out of the slave market of the Romans. Furthermore, this word for freedom comes from a root word meaning this, that which is capable of movement, freedom to go wherever one likes, unfettered. You see, freedom stands in opposition to slavery or bondage. This word that's used here is also in Galatians 2.4. Let's go back and look at that. Listen to Galatians 2.4. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in who came in secretly to spy on our 
freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The same word is also used in chapter 5, verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. That's for next week. Next, next week we'll look at that. So what Paul is doing here is he's taking this imagery of the yoke and slavery and redirecting it. It's helping to clarify the fact of the law's effect now that Christ has come. The law's effect, law, L-A-W apostrophe S, the law's effect has changed now that Christ has come. It does not lead or teach people anymore to, to salvation and all those things, but what does it do now? Now that Christ has come and his freedom is here, it simply does what it's doing to these people, enslaves them. Look at Galatians 4.3. Galatians 4.3. In the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. And then we look at 4.8. Go down a few verses. But in the past... When you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's, lowercase g. So we get this picture. It's very interesting. I love A.T. Robertson, a scholar and professor of old. He wrote word pictures in the New Testament. He said it simply this way. It's as if the Judaizers were trying to lasso the Galatians for the old yoke of legalism. Wow. And I would say to you today, where are you? Where are you today? Where are we today? It's so good. It's so important that we evaluate what is going on in our lives, in our Christian life, and that we examine what's going on, what our thoughts are, what our attitudes are. Do we have prejudice in our life? What are we doing to bear witness, as David spoke of earlier today? Way to go, Andrew. Where is he? There he is. All right. That blessed my heart. Did that bless your heart? That made my whole day. I, I can storm the gates of hell right now. I'm ready because of new life in Christ. Where are we? Do we examine ourselves? Do we evaluate ourselves? Are you certain? Do you know that you know that you know that you're a child of the king, that you have that personal relationship with Jesus? Stanford. Well, let's go on and look at two through six. Don't fall away from grace. Now, that's a loaded phrase if there ever was one, and we're going to talk about that. But look at verse 2. It starts out by saying, take note, another command, another command imperative, take note. And it's followed immediately by this emphatic self-identification of Paul. He says, take note, I, Paul, are you paying attention? I, Paul. And then he goes on to say in verse 2 that if the Galatians accept circumcision, Christ will profit them not one thing. That's not great English, but that's kind of how it is there. Christ will not profit you one thing. Here Paul is giving in verse 2 a strong warning. Christ will not benefit you at all. This is the first terrible consequence of a lapse into legalism. If they accepted that circumcision was necessary for salvation, they would be admitting that all of the rest of the law was necessary. Then I've got a warning for you. It comes in James chapter 2.10. Check it out. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty, do you know it, of breaking them all. Wow. I need grace. What about you? Let's move on. Verse 3. Verse 3, Paul continues with this admonishing tone. He's given this reminder. Look at verse 3, that if you accept circumcision, accepting circumcision makes one a debtor to keep all the law. Again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated, there's the word, he is obligated to keep the entire law. John Calvin said this many centuries ago, Whoever wants to have a half Christ loses the whole. Wow. You can't dilute it. You can't change it. You can't add. You can't take away. And then in verse 4 continues on. Now let me just stop for a minute in verse 4. 
We don't have time to have a class. If we had a class, we'd spend half an hour or an hour on this. But this is a verse that has often been misunderstood and misapplied because people reference it to eternal security. Do you know what that term means, eternal security? It's this belief that a Christian could lose their salvation. But that's not what this phrase is really talking about. Notice, again, the context. Paul just had it a couple verses ago. Paul is speaking about the catastrophic loss of the benefits of Christ. In verse 2, the benefits of Christ. Paul is not talking about losing salvation by committing sin. He is writing about what? Substituting the law, legalism, what the Judaizers were doing, substituting law for grace as the basis of salvation. In fact, if Paul, Paul is clear and blunt. Do you remember the last verse we read? He is very blunt and very, what's going on right now. And he would have written losing your salvation or saying you have fallen from salvation. He doesn't say that. He doesn't use that word. He says falling away from grace. Furthermore, this is a hypothetical situation, saying if you're, if you're going to do this. Paul's concern here is practical. It's guidance for these people who, when he first came and when these churches were started, they believed, they repented, they confessed just like we do and they had this relationship with Christ, and now they're considering going down this road and adding something to it. And so he's concerned. It's not a theoretical argument. In addition, as we found in verse 10, he's still calling them brothers. Did you catch that? That's important. Paul's still calling them brothers. And he even says there's a confidence in them, in the Lord. And that mitigates against this misapplication. We could go on and on, but but know this. In context, Paul is stressing that yielding to the influence of these legalists, these Judaizers, as it relates to circumcision, would not bring them closer to Christ. Rather, it will... It will enable them to move away from the gospel of grace. Don't fall away from grace. Verse 5, Paul now stresses that believers through the the spirit by faith wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness. It's a simple verse, but it's powerful. Do you see it? For by the spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. Do you have hope of righteousness from faith? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, Judaizers, lest anyone would boast. We have great hope. Our hope is in the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I thought I might get an amen for that today, church. Think about it. That's where my hope is. Do you realize how that can help you in life? Do you realize that our hope is not in the stock market? Although I wish I would have bought GameStop. Anybody out there? Man, I'm a Robin Hood guy. I have been, and, and all of a sudden it's famous. I'm like, shh, don't let everybody know about Robin Hood. You guys, some of y'all do not know what I'm talking about, do you? But hope in that is the hope in our, our, our wallet, how, how thick it is, or our bank account. Is our hope in our children? You get, anybody got adult children? Be careful with that hope. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You with little darlings out there, they're little darlings right now. Doesn't mean they'll be like little darlings 20 years from now. I don't know. We'll see. Well, hope, where is it? Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love verse 5. By faith, we're eagerly awaiting the hope of righteousness. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that day when I'm transported to be face-to-face with Christ my Savior. In in simple terms, we trust. Remember the word, pistis? We trust, we believe. We trust, we trust, just as Paul wanted them to remember, we trust what God has told us he will do to us, thank you, Lord, and for us in the future. Let's go to verse 6. Paul cuts through all the debate. This is powerful. So those of us who have been puffed up, maybe that's a strong word, okay, me, all right? And we've been thinking, well, I would never succumb 
to anything like that, adding to salvation. How in the world could they consider that they had to be circumcised for salvation? How in the world would they do that? I would never consider that. Verse 6 is for us. Look at it. Look at it. He says that just as circumcision accomplishes nothing related to salvation, neither does uncircumcision. Do you see that? For us, we're warned Watch out. You see, church, there can be a legalism of doing, but there also can be a legalism of not doing. We can get puffed up. We can get proud. We can let pride slip in there. That doesn't have anything to do with salvation, does it? We can let other thoughts slip in there. Certain things of judgment, that doesn't have anything to do. So see, it's not just what's going on, circumcision, but also what's not going on, uncircumcision, so we must be careful. In church, I want us to be people who are for things, not just against things. Amen? We have things that we need to be dealing with right now. I hope you're joining me. We are fighting Santa Fe right now in the issue of life. And there's other things, but just in the issue of life. We are losing, but we must continue to fight whether we win or not. Now let me pause for a moment when I say something like that, it's easy to get applause. But what if I said we must fight for the souls of the lost people out in the world and we should pray for our governor and legislators that they would be saved? Amen. Yeah. See, it's easier to fight against something than be for something. But let us be people that are for things. Wow. Not just of not doing, but that, that changed my life finally as a teenager when I realized it's not just a set of rules against, against, against. It's what we're for. And did you see verse 6 as he wraps up this section? He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplish anything. And I love that last line. And this is what I'm talking about, church. What matters is faith working through love. Do we love I want to be able to win the right to share my faith with anyone in a loving way and not in a condemning way. So think about that for a minute. That hit me. Maybe that didn't hit you, church, but it's easy for us to just say, well, I'd never do that. Well, you got a problem right there now because you think I would never do that. No, you might never do that as you are following the Lord, but be careful about that confidence. Well, we got to move on. That would be a whole other sermon. Verses 7 through 12. Here's the last section. Run the good race. Paul now gives assessment, more assessment, of the threat posed by the Judaizers. Do you see that? He says you're running, you were running well. At, at, at one point, the Christian, Christians in the Galatian churches were running well. What does that phrase mean? It literally means this, making good progress. They were making good progress, and Paul is gone, and all of a sudden they're being derailed, some of them, or they're succumbing or considering this. At some point, they not only believed the gospel, but they lived it. Run the race. Have you noticed that Paul is fond of athletic metaphors? He talks about running in a lot of places. Some of you are shaking your heads, you know what I mean. How about wrestling? Remember that one? And my favorite, how about boxing? It's not my favorite sport. Don't write me an email. But it's, it's my favorite athletic metaphor. If you've ever known, I grew up with some champion boxers from El Magordo. Their level of dedication and fitness, you fill in the blank, blew my mind. Us who played football or I, I played tennis, baseball, those different things, us who played these other sports, friends who played basketball, had nothing on those guys when it came to conditioning and discipline and all that. Paul is fond of athletic metaphors. He catches our attention today. He catches their attention. He mentions that these powerful uh, kinds of athletic endeavors, why? To bring out the fact that the Christian life is an active life. So let's just run with that for a minute. Get it? See what I did there? Let's run with it. Run. I didn't even mean to do that. That just popped in my head. Uh, squirrel. Yeah. Okay. What do these metaphors show us, though? The Christian life is an active life. Do you believe that? 
Where in Scripture does it say you get saved to sit and soak? I'm glad you're sitting and soaking today, or I'd be here by myself, and there would be a really big echo in here. I'm glad that we're here today, but we're not saved to sit and soak. The Christian life is an active life. It has vigor. It calls for vigor. It calls for a life of discipline. It is a challenging life. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise that if you just do this, you got it made. Eternally speaking, I understand John 3.16. But practically, when we talk about being left here, Jesus didn't transport us immediately to heaven when we're saved. We, there's work to be done. There's a witness to be shared. It is challenging. And someone should not tell me, oh, you, it'll be just perfect. No, we're challenged. So here comes the question. He says, you're running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? There's the question. Prevented meaning cut into. Who cut into you? It's as if he's saying, who interrupted the race? Now, some of you know about cutting line, don't you? You stood in the Smith's line, and someone cut in. I literally almost observed a fight happen because of that. That's over on the west side. I know you saints on the east side don't have anything like that, but... <laughs> Someone caught in the line and there was almost a fight. It's a big deal. It's not just a big deal when you're going to school and you're in line to get a drink of water. Okay? And, and he's saying, who persuaded you, who cut into you, who interrupted your race. Now let's think about this for a minute. I think there's some application we can take from this. I believe the Christian life is a marathon, not a 100-meter dash. I think we should apply that to our life. We don't let today get to us because there's tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's a marathon. Another application is this. Paul did not give up on the Galatians. Have you caught that? Have you caught that? Chapter after chapter, he is pleading with them. He has not given up. And I would ask the question today as we apply that, do we give up on people? Hmm. Do you give up on people? We should not do that. Also, this application, the truth of the gospel is not only something to be believed or trusted, but it's something to be obeyed. It's a powerful little verse. And then we get to verse 8, talking about this persuasion. And it did not come from him, God, who called you. It's referring to the persuasion of the Judaizers. It's not from the one calling the Galatians. This word persuasion is very interesting. It's, it's not, this word is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. In fact, nowhere in earlier Greek, even secular Greek literature, is this word found. We find it right here and only here. And the sense of this word is powerful because it's active. It's as if saying the persuasion which the Judaizing teachers are exerting over you. It's that strong persuasion. And it didn't come from God. Verse 9, Paul gives a common sense illustration that they understand. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever heard that phrase? It comes from Scripture. Isn't that interesting? Wow, a little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. It's, it's kind of like our English saying. You heard this one? It, just one rotten apple, what? Spoils the whole barrel. That was older folks. Some of you young ones are going, I've never heard of that before. But it's the idea. Put that in there and it can mess up everything else. I used to like to say that to our boys when they were growing up. They finally understood what I mean, didn't they? Be careful who you run with, who you hang out with. It just takes one and it can spoil the whole group. You've heard of that, peer pressure and all that. I like to think of the picture here, though, when, when he uses this, this phrase, if you will. It's as if these Galatian Christians, it's, have you ever spun a top? Do you remember how you could spin a top? And it spins, boy, it's just right, when the revolutions are good, it's just right there, right? But then as it starts to slow down, it starts to do what? It starts to move, doesn't it? It even, it wavers. It even tilts. And, and that's a picture I, I see of, of these folks. They're wavering. They're even tilting. They're even tilting towards false teachers and teaching. And this is a big deal. Have you noticed in the New Testament what a big deal false teaching is? And teachers, you find it in, in many of Paul's letters. 
The little book of Jude is a case study for that. We could go on and on and on. And he, he just gives this illustration. And then he turns around in verse 10 right away. And I say, yay, Lord, thank you for verse 10. Because he, he gives an expression of confidence. But note that he doesn't just say, hey, I got confidence, you guys, these Galatian believers. Not in you alone, but I have confidence in you as you lean on God, in the Lord. You see, the opposition to the free gospel was disturbing them. Literally, to shake back and forth and therefore agitate and stir up. This is what's been going on in them. And we must remember as that comes into our life or something like that hits us, that we have a sure destiny. But verse 10 reminds us that false teachers also have a, those who lead people astray also have a sure destiny. Destiny, they will pay the penalty. Listen to Jesus' words, John 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish ever. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He goes on to say this, Jesus, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then, as often is the case in Scripture, to drive home a point, it's restated. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Matthew 18, 6, Jesus' words. But whoever causes the downfall of, one, downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Pay the penalty. It's going to happen. Thank you, Paul, though, that we can see under the inspiration of God that there is confidence people who are in the Lord. And then we get to verse 11. We're, we're almost ready to wrap up. And he, still, he, he, he says, brothers, did you catch that? After all of this, he reminds them, hey, brothers, hey, brothers. And then Paul states again, like he's stated before, that there's these false accusations that are going around regarding Paul's message. Some even think he was liberal or he was for this and against this. And Paul asks the question, why am I still being persecuted when I still do preach circumcision? It's just not for what? The basis of salvation. And he says, if it's, if it's really that case, people, the people you're listening to, then the offense of the cross has been canceled. Did you ever think about the offense of the cross? Now, that, we don't think about that very often. But I believe in order to be saved, the cross offends a person. Would you agree with that? It offends me. Why? Because I'm not so great. I'm a sinner. Because I can't save myself. Jesus is the one who can, and Jesus is the one who did and gives me the opportunity. It's offense. Have you ever wondered why the message of Jesus is so offensive to our world? It's, they have blinders on. They're lost and they don't understand. And I would tell you this. If the message of Jesus offends you, you're on the right track. Keep working on that. Because that leads to salvation. It leads to the realization that we are all sinners. And we have a price to pay. And Jesus paid the price for us. So something to think about. And Paul is still saying, look, I'm with you. Follow the Lord. Follow grace. And then we get to a rough verse, verse 12. I'm sorry that we are concluding with this verse. This is the strongest statement in the epistle, the letter, I believe. Some scholars consider it the most startling of all of Paul's recorded words in the New Testament. I wish those who were disturbed, he's so worked up, I wish those who were disturbing you, these false teachers, they would just forget circumcision, that they would just be castrated. Now they understood a little bit more about that than we do, because in the Galatian region in those days, there were mystery cults. Have you ever heard of those? There were these cults 
cults, a little different than ours today, and they were mystery cults, and uh, they were quite popular. And priestly status in some of these cults often necessitated self-emasculation. So they were like, whoa. And Paul implies this. Since the Judaizers think circumcision accomplishes so much and is part of salvation, they should just cut off everything. Uh, one Bible, I think it was the Jerusalem Bible, translated, let the knife slip. Very graphic. Of course, I want to make it clear. I do not believe Paul is advocating literal physical harm here. That's not his nature. Paul, how did Paul... Paul did not fight warfare with physical tools, did he? He fights them with spiritual tools, as we should as well. So let me springboard from this graphic, startling comment to how do we fight then? If it's not literal physical harm, how do we fight then? We fight as he told us in Ephesians chapter 6. Do you remember that great chapter? And we get to verse 17. And he says, take the helmet of salvation... And then he talks about the offensive weapon. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. That's how we fight warfare. Wow, strong words for strong apostates. But what about us today? Go back to where we started. Go back to Galatians chapter 1, if you would, and read verse 8. It's a powerful verse that applies today as strongly with all that's going on in our world, whether it's a cult or a belief or whatever, as in, that, in those days. Paul says at the beginning of the, gospel, of the letter, but even if we, or, and I would put in parentheses, or a Judaizer, but even if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. He's consistent. It's clear. And I would say to you today, church, when souls are at stake and the gospel is being undermined, it is time to take out the sword of the Spirit and start swinging the Word of God and start swinging and join into the fight and join into the spiritual warfare that is just attacking so many of our families and our brothers and sisters, our siblings, our neighbors, the people we work with, the people we go to school with. It is time for us to start swinging the Word of God and letting it permeate us into such a way that we share the free gospel of grace. We can and must make a difference. Why? Why? This passage of Scripture. Because we are free in Christ, and he has given us the tools to impact others. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help today. First of all, I want to pray for those who are not yet Christians, followers of you. For those who have not yet placed their trust in Jesus, repented of sin, believing that Jesus can forgive, believing that Jesus is ready and willing and able to come into life and be Lord not just Savior, but Lord. So God, I pray. I pray for those today. I believe with all my heart that people are listening today and that some need to do that. God, I pray that you would save them. That they would experience the freedom that comes in Christ. Save them, God. However you choose to do it, Lord. Maybe right now, right where they are, God placed someone in their life, perhaps, one of us, me, someone else, who can just share the good news and help them to understand that they might trust like we have trusted. God, we ask for that today, and we pray for that today. 
And God, I pray you would burden our hearts to realize souls are at stake. God, I know we know some who have drifted. God, may we strike in love with the sword of the Spirit, with your word, not to quote scripture at them, but to apply principles and live them out in our lives so that they might see where we are and where they can come back to. God, I pray for those who have really been thinking about how to share, how to impact their world and culture. So God, I pray that today, being free in Christ, followers of Christ, that we would make a difference. God, I know that we don't save. I know, God, it's you who saves. However, God, I also know that you work through us as agents or as conduits of the message that we would share. And I pray, God, that we would be about the hard task of making disciples, getting into lives, not giving up on people, not assuming, well, they just are not here, but really going and finding out what's going on in their lives, that we would be more like Paul and not giving up on people who were running the race so well and something cut into them, cut in front of them. So God, help us. God, thank you for the way you customize your your word for us and that no matter what is being preached, taught, shared, that you can drop an application right into our lap. So right now, in this moment, I'm going to be quiet for a moment, God, and I'm going to ask whether online watching or here in the room that we would pray a prayer like this. God, show me how I might be about making disciples and with whom. So church right now, as the piano is playing softly, a moment of silence, would you just pray that prayer and ask God to reveal that to you? God, thank you for freedom, freedom in Christ, for the free gospel of grace that you have thrust upon us and the faith that you give us to trust you and to give our sin and our lives to you. Thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for being the God who saves. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.